Today we make a final visit for this year to the Bitcoin SV incubator Satoshi Block Dojo, which has so far released 23 startups into the world. We'll be hearing from three members of its current group of founders who'll be pitching their ideas to an audience of potential investors. So stay tuned to hear about NFT creation, music production, and CBDC exchange. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Divya Prashanth wants to make every kind of NFT creation easy for users who have no knowledge of coding. Combining her interest in visual arts and technology, her HQ NFTs also promises to provide everything that artists will need to launch their own collections. HQ NFTs is a one-stop shop uh, NFT ecosystem where you can create NFTs without a single line of code. And also you can value NFTs um, you know, based on both sentiment, emotion, and um, traits, that is rarity ranking. So you can go from a few layers uh, in Photoshop to an entire NFT collection without a single line of code, and it's multi-chain. So we have Ethereum, Polygon, Solana, and also uh, BSV is something we're looking to add. So you're talking about NFTs for artwork, right? Well, uh, within the platform, it's a quite sophisticated platform where you can create NFTs just for the sake of art, or it could be an NFT on the back of which it could be a proof of attendance, or it could be an NFT on the back of which you have a meet or greet, or it could be an NFT on the back of which there is a utility, um, or even a physical object like a bottle of uh, vintage wine that can be associated with it. Right. So it's just uh, an NFT platform that you can use for basically anything that anything. an NFT can be used for. Yeah. But you have got an interest, a special interest in the sort of art side of it, I think. Absolutely. So um, I have two passions, art and technology. And I've had to make that choice very early on to, uh, to take technology because it's really a sustainable sort of career, right? But now that I'm seeing uh, art and NFT leading in the way in which it's bringing about awareness to the blockchain, I still see that the artist is actually disenfranchised. Wherein when I talk to my artist friends, it's become very evident that uh, the biggest blocker is blockchain itself in terms of the skill sets, right? There are only about a few hundred thousand blockchain developers when compared to about 18 million web developers. And also the costs were way too high. And this got me thinking and... um, and I'm passionate about both art and technology. So this was my way of uh, giving back and bringing the two uh, of my passions together. NFTs have in some ways had quite a bad press recently in relation to artworks yes. that people are saying, well, why? what's the point of paying thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars for a piece of digital art, particularly when it can be sort of copied and pasted anyway? I mean, what, how do you deal with that question? Oh, it's a fantastic question. Well, actually, art has actually caught the imagination of people. uh, And uh, it's kind of uh, the way in which people have understood uh, NFTs. But having said that, there is a lot of utility around NFTs. And that's going to come to the forefront in the next cycle. While there will be uh, art being still created as NFTs, there will also be a huge ecosystem where you would have NFTs created as utilities. And you can't escape it because as 
as someone would have, I mean, 30 years ago when, you know, you, when, if you would ask why you want internet, right? And now you, you know, fast forward all these years and some of the leading companies in the world are internet, internet based companies. So if brands and companies do not take Web3 seriously, they'll probably be left behind. So it's very important to participate in this ecosystem. So what kind of utilities are you thinking of that could relate to art, for instance? Uh, it might not be at all related to art. So just to give you an, uh, an example, there is Gary V. He's got a collection of V family or V friends. I can't remember. Right? I can't remember this right. But on the back of his NFT, you actually have access to a physical uh, painting. And also, depending on which NFT you have, you have a one-on-one access to him. So this is where it is going. The utility could be anything from a simple meet or greet hmm. to actually uh, owning a, a, a physical uh, object on the back of it. It could be that you know, the NFT is actually a certificate uh, giving you access to a rare or a vintage uh, wine or a whiskey bottle. So, Right. So it's interesting because actually I think other startups in this area yeah. are concentrating either on the NFT as the sort of product that you buy or this utility NFT as a ticket or something. But you are kind of covering the waterfront there. Yes. So we are the wicks of Mm. NFTs. Right. Simple as that. So it doesn't matter what the utility is. Mm. It could have no utility or it could have a utility. You can just come in onto our platform create an NFT collection and spin it off onto your own contract. It's not a HQ NFT shared contract. It is uh, the individual who creates the collection, they own the contract. Right. And and what's your business model then? I mean, how, who's paying who for this? So it will be the creators who, who uh, pay for the service. And uh, at some point, I mean, at this point in time, we are charging a fee and then eventually it'll be a fee and a royalty or a commission that we take uh, from the sale and the creation uh, and the creation of the contract itself. And so if I want to issue a set of NFTs to have a cup of tea with me, for instance, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure will be very popular, um, do I set the price or... Is that part of your platform? No, absolutely. You can set the price. So what you can do is you can come to my platform. You say you want to have, you think there'll be about thousand, you know, you're well, an influencer. Let's say maybe about... six. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have a, a one to 500. So you can, you you fit in well in the slot. So, right. So you can create a collection and uh, you can create the contract and you can mint six from that collection and then you can give it away to whoever you want to give uh, oh, sell to meet it. You. I want to sell it. You want to sell it? Yeah, you can sell it at you can sell it on your own website because the contract is yours. So you can sell it on your own website or you can sell it on OpenSea or on depending on what um, uh, blockchain you are. If it's Solana, you can sell it on uh, Magic Eden or whichever uh, marketplace. Depending on the blockchain, you can sell it wherever you want at the price that you price that you set. Right. So you know, you're in the Satoshi Block Dojo program yes, here, which yes. is all about Bitcoin SV. How, how does that fit into your thinking? I mean, we are, we love all uh, blockchains. Uh, and uh, we think that everybody, you know, we, we believe in kind of being quite agnostic and being multi-chain. Uh, so we do everything that is in the, on the EVM, on the Rust, and now on the BSV as well. Right. And how has the program been here? Have you, have you changed, have you sort of grown the business idea or what's, what's been the progress you've made during this period? 
It's been a fantastic experience. We've got some, you know, really interesting um, sessions that we've had. Um, and uh, uh, in terms of uh, our product itself, we were slightly ahead. Uh, so, and we have an own internal, um, you know, tech team. I'm a blockchain developer myself and I have, uh, uh, you know, a team of blockchain and data scientists. So, uh, we were quite busy building a, a tool, but having said that, it's it's a fantastic program. I must say, it's quite uh, uh, grilling, and um, you know you've got to just go through the process, and it's it's exciting. Because yeah. you were already uh, underway with your project yes, before yeah. you'd even sort of heard of block, uh, Satoshi Block Dojo. Then, yes. so you would have been you would have been going ahead anyway. Yes. But you're looking for investors, are you? Yes, 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 I am. Well, uh, you've got a big showcase evening tonight, so Indeed. I really hope that goes well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tobia. Thanks Thank for talking so to much. me. Thank you As a professional musician, Bomi Mosuru knows about the pressures of music production and delivery. His The House of Sounds startup aims to streamline many of the processes involved using AI and Web3 technologies to let musicians concentrate on the music. So, Bomi, you're a professional musician, uh, but you've gone into the business behind music making. Yeah. What made you do that? So I've always had a, perf a big passion for technology. And um, the funny fact is that my college education in, was in mechanical engineering. But I actually started off my first two years out of the five years was in computer science and engineering. And my goal from that time when I was like 17, 16 years old was to build software for music since then. I ended up changing my major because it was a lot more difficult than I thought it was. And I realized I couldn't do the coding myself, which is why in this position now I'm hiring people to get the job done. But that's where the passion comes from. So what is the job? What, is, what needs doing to make musicians' lives better? Basically, the way things work right now is you have so many different personnel, so many different players involved in creating a song or an album. And each of these players have their preference tools, right? So you probably prefer, I don't know, maybe Gmail to WhatsApp for communication, you know, and it's the same thing with the artists and the people they work with. They have the things they like to use for communication, for sharing files, for accounting and all the other things that are part of the music process. So. Right, because lots of people are collaborating on a single track. Yes. And they're all working at different times and in different places and with different bits of software. Precisely. So, so how can you fix that problem? So basically, we bring all these features into one platform. That's the, that's the, that's the short answer. The long answer is basically having to synchronize all the different people because it's not just having one tool. They all have to be in sync but the tool helps them to get in sync. So, so you're, you're building this thing called BeatLab. BeatLab, yes. Now, I've, I've heard it described as the Trello for music making. Is that a good description? That's a good one. If you don't like Trello, Asana, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. So, so tell me a bit, bit more about if I'm using it, what, what I'll be able to do. Yes. So there, there'll be a few key features. Um, you'll have project management features. You'll be able to create a new project. You'll be able to create tasks under that project. You'll be able to invite team members to join your project. You'll be able to communicate, exchange messages, exchange files. Um, you'll be able to budget your project and track the expenses on the project. You have, there, there's a reports and feature that will allow you to generate reports 
through which you can track your team's performance or your efficiency while you work on the project so you can improve in the future. There's a social aspect to it that's kind of like a LinkedIn where you can discover collaborators. You need an engineer or you need a producer to work with or you need um, a songwriter to collaborate with. You can easily just search in the social feature and find them. And then there's also cloud storage and encryption for you to share files and store files. So wow. a couple of things, that's just an MVP. But literally That's like our goal, <laughs> yes. And like I was just about to say, the goal is to build an end-to-end platform. So literally everything from ideation to collection of royalties all within the platform. So a good way to look at it is, I don't know if you're familiar with AWS, but AWS Amazon has, um, yes, Amazon Web Services. They have um, a suite of features when you're setting up your cloud services or whatever you're trying to do with AWS, and you can select what you'll need for your particular experience. It's going to be the same thing. Not everybody using our platform is going to use every single tool. Some people will use the songwriting tool and the project management. Some other people will use the mastering tool and the cloud storage. And you know, So you'll be able to select and mix and match the features to suit whatever you need to do. I mean, it sounds amazing, but how does blockchain come into it? So blockchain, uh, blockchain is basically synonymous with Web3 these days. And basically, we want to be the music authorities for Web3. Music hasn't really been explored properly in Web3. So we want to be one of the people to create uh, the first audio format specifically for Web3. And in that, by building that audio format, we're also going to build a digital audio workstation, which the audio format will be the basis of the digital audio workstation. So an example of an audio format for people who don't know is like an MP3 or a wave, and there's a ton of others that are used for different purposes. So you're going to build a blockchain equivalent of those? Preset, not blockchain, Web3. Okay. It's going to be on the blockchain, but it's for Web3. Okay. Right. It's going to be based on blockchain technology, but it's for Web3. Because we're basically moving from Web2 to Web3, as you all know, right? So basically, Web3 doesn't have, there's no audio format that has really utilize the full power of what blockchain could do and what Web3 could be. So we want to be the pioneers for that. We have a clear roadmap of how we're going to do it. And BeatLab is going to be a digital audio workstation. There's going to be a digital audio workstation built into BeatLab. And through that, all the files, all the audio, the plugins, um, the different audio files, the songs, they will all be in that audio format. And I know that BeatLab is actually just the first product that you're planning because the overall company is called House of Sounds. Yes. And you've got further down the line ideas for AI products and things like that. Yes, we have um, a product called Fluid Flow. Crazy thing is Fluid Flow um, came to me a long time ago in like 2016, right? Um, I'm a rapper by profession. Um, and my strategy, and this could be, this could help someone out there, right? When I'm writing songs is when I have a beat, I usually come up with the flow first. This what, is the what pattern. What do you mean by the flow? Yes. This is the pattern I'm going to rap in. Da, 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 right? And I came up with the idea that you can use software to pattern those flows. You know, I have a concept called mirroring. And I don't know if I'm, a, I'm the first person to come up with that, but I haven't heard anybody else talk about mirroring. And mirroring is basically mimicking a sound. It could be a melody. You know, you have a piano sound and you're singing the exact same thing the piano is playing. That's mirroring. So it's the same thing with the flow. The flows mirror like a hi-hat sound 
la 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 you know it's like quite it's a, it's a strategy so that's what fluid flow originally was it was a tool to mimic to help people with their flows when they're coming up with lyrics right and then over time it evol- evolved into a songwriting tool that you could that is powered by artificial intelligence through which you could you know get word and rhyme suggestions while you're writing your lyrics and uh, makes just make things easier because writer's block is a real thing you're a writer I'm sure you probably experienced writer's block even in your own, um, even though it's not music, you know, once in a while you just hit a roadblock where, you're, you know, the creativity stalls and you don't know what to write next. And, you know, maybe you're, you don't have new ideas of what to do, right? So with the fluid flow, you, you pick a topic or a genre. And as you're typing, you get word and rhyme suggestions based on your topic and genre. But we still need the artist. And we need to enhance the artist process. That's what AI is supposed to be used for, not to replace. Because I know that part of your motivation behind all this work is actually thinking about the mental health of musicians, right? Yes, that's So you, you mentioned the creative block and so on, but it's also to do with stress and conflicting demands and so on, isn't it? Yes, that's a big part of what we're trying to do. And I know mental health, even though it's becoming more and more... Um, accepted to talk about it it's still a very very sensitive and subject. how does it affect musicians particularly yeah well musicians as as creatives you know we we go through a bunch of emotions right and the stress of you hear a lot about drug culture and music and um you know you have you, you need the, the music you're coming up, art imitates life, right? So you, you literally need to put your life out there. And that's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Right. So your tool will relieve some of those pressures just by kind of making things better organized. It just by making things a little bit more efficient and more streamlined. You know, you, know, you, you have on an artist that's going on tour. And they're still working on an album. They're working on their next album. That doesn't stop them from working on their next album. Mm-hmm. It's how do they balance all these different things? It's hard enough for people who don't even have those kind of lives to balance what they're doing, their nine to fives and all that stuff, which is the purpose of a productivity tool, which is exactly what we built, right? To basically streamline and make things easier and more efficient for the artists. Well, it, it sounds like an, an incredible project. Thank you, Charles. I really hope it works out for you. And thank you, thank so, you much. so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. Kumara Guru Ramanujam wants to make central bank digital currencies more easily compatible, allowing cross-border payments and other kinds of financial exchange through IntraSettle, his payments infrastructure platform. IntraSettle is basically a payment infrastructure. Um, built on the most reliable and scalable blockchain. Um, So we are um, onboarding multiple CBDCs on a single platform. Central bank digital currencies. Central bank digital currencies. So what we are providing is a platform for multiple central banks to come and issue their CBDC. If they have a CBDC, they could put it onto our platform. Or if they have a traditional currency, they can issue their CBDC on our platform. So basically what we are building is a matrix of multiple CBDCs on a single ledger so that they could have finality of settlements um, and um, access to liquidity immediately uh, and bring in all the benefits of having one ledger to compute. And so who are your customers? 
Um, so we go from the top down, which could be central banks who would want to directly issue their CBDC on our platform, or if central banks are already working and they already have a retail CBDC, they could just give us an API and we could uh, give them a CBDC on our platform. Or we could even go to the wholesale bank who's got permission to use central bank money would be able to issue CBDCs on our platform. The idea here is very simple. We want to have multiple uh, central banks issue central bank money in this platform so that we could encourage um, instant settlements and uh, cross-border payments on one platform. When you say issue it on your platform, I thought the whole idea with CBDCs is that a central bank would simply issue its currency as digital Yes, and that they didn't have to sort of decide where they were going to issue it. It just sort of gets out there. and That's right. But so when you talk about issuing it on your platform, what does that mean exactly? So, so we could either look at it. Say if a central bank already has a retail CBDC issued with their payment system, here it's more of a wholesale angle. So wherein we could have a one-on-one -on -one banking of the central bank digital currency on a platform. It's basically a representation of the CBDC. So it's a tokenized cash on our platform for them to get the benefits of having multiple CBDCs on one platform. Right. So you, let me get this right, you're taking CBDCs and putting it into a sort of language that is common that will allow you to translate from one CBDC to another, Is that which is your token. Is that right? That's right. Let's say for an example, uh, a, a country has already got a retail CBDC working on the BSV blockchain. We are then able to provide them a multi-CBDC platform. For an example, let's say five central banks are using BSV blockchain to have issued their retail CBDC. They, all these six uh, central banks can now come together on this one platform to have seamless exchange of cross-border payments, security settlements, any other use cases we could imagine in the cross-border leg all happening on a single platform. So how wrong would it be to say it's like a foreign currency exchange, but for CBDCs? Uh, to a certain extent, it is, right? It's just not just the foreign currency exchange. Mm. Um, along with it could be security settlements, bond settlements. Um, it could be anything to do with cross-border cash. Right. Now, I know your background and training was in computer science. That's right. But you seem to have got incredibly deep into the world of finance. I mean, you seem to be more of a finance expert these days <laughs> to, to understand how all this stuff works. Yes. Um, so I think this is what BSV blockchain does to you when you dive deeper into understanding what money is. So I, I, I would say that I've gone a little deeper than I would usually gone to. But now I understand what's the difference between a central bank money and a money issued by a wholesale bank or a commercial bank. And this has helped us uh, move from where we were, uh, just looking at cross-border payments using BSV as a bridge asset. That was your previous idea. That's right. To moving towards a completely multi-CBDC environment uh, where um, potentially it could bring down the cost of uh, cross-border settlements by I mean 80%. When you're talking to bankers about CBDCs and stuff, do you find that you're actually having to explain to them how it works? Um, not really. Um, some of them seem to, the people in the innovation division seem to understand what's happening. They're quite well read. Uh, um, so they're going through the Bank of International Settlements reports and they are up to date with what's happening in this space. Um, with some, I would have to go through the entire 
um, analogy of what a central bank money is and how different is it uh, from a bank issued money, who's got the liability, so on and so forth. So having a little, having read a little bit on this, uh, do help. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like you've got a very sort of specific and worked out idea here, but I'm wondering how far the world needs to develop in using CBDCs in order for this to really come into its own. Um, to be honest, it's truly not my idea. It's an idea which has been, um, um, say, piloted by the Bank of International Settlements. I think there are close to about seven um, MCBDC pilots that, that are happening all around the world. Uh, multiple CBD. mul Multiple CBDCs. Yes. So the idea is to have multiple countries issue the CBDC on one platform. So this has been tested by the Bank of International Settlements, and there are a few pilots that are happening right there. Right, My so, idea so you is, already have competitors. With that's right. They're all in the pilot stage. My yeah. idea is just basically taking those multi-CBDC experiments on, say, Ethereum or Corda or some of these blockchains and having it on the most scalable blockchain mm -hmm. and allowing for offline payments, um, tokenization, and uh, stuff like that. Um, in practical terms, what is going to be the first step in this, in actually getting something up and running? Um, right now, we have developed a sandbox environment. Um, so wherein, um, so we could um, have a central bank come and issue the CBDC on a platform, then build on some governance layer to how the CBDC should work and who should have what access. Then they are then able to transfer the token or the asset uh, to a wholesale bank who are then able to give further access down to a payment interface provider, so on and so forth. We are also built in capabilities, such in terms of a wholesale bank, pledging their bond or any other asset to receive a, a central bank digital currency. So we have built this sandbox in a way so that whatever stage a central bank or a wholesale bank is in regards to a cross-border use case, we'd be able to give them an environment for them to test and see what might work for them and then eventually go into a production stage. I mean, it sounds complicated from a technical point of view, but I'm sure, what about from the regulatory point of view? Because you are going to be sort of responsible for potentially very large sums of money. How do, you, how do you deal with that aspect of it? Um, so, so the work that the Bank of International Settlements uh, has done in this space is uh, quite tremendous. They've already uh, have tested this pilots and they've already proposed certain regulatory change for different uh, um, uh, jurisdictions on, uh, okay, if this is the model that you're looking at, this might be some of the regulatory changes you might need. So we are in piggybacking in <laughs> right. on the work of, uh, say, Bank of... So, so there is a set of kind of guidelines that if you stick to them, then basically you can say we've, yes. we've complied yes. with regulations. Yes. The central banks are now quite open, and especially in the space of CBDC. Um, so it falls in line with the 19 building blocks established by the G20 um, and the FSA. So, so the 19th building block is to come up with new infrastructures that might change cross-border payment for the better. So they are quite open to testing and finding out, okay, what governance layers do we need and other regulations um, in accordance with the governance layer we'll need for this technology. If not, how do we fix the regulations and so on and so forth. So we are kind of um, following them in terms of, okay, this has already been discussed and uh, looked over. All we are doing is just taking that and building that on the most scalable blockchain. 
Komorogu. It sounds like an amazing and incredibly ambitious project, but <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me about it today. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much to Kamara Guru, as well as to Divya and Bommy, and everyone at Satoshi Block Dojo for making us so welcome. Next week, we'll be getting into the seasonal spirit with our very own Coin Geek Conversations Christmas quiz. So please start the holidays early with us and test your knowledge of Bitcoin SV and many other subjects against our celebrity panelists. Until then, thanks for listening and goodbye.